Hey Trailblazers, welcome back to the Business Casual Podcast. If you're new here, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for pressing play on today's episode. My name is Stacey. I'm the co-founder and host of the Business Casual Podcast. And if you're not already, be sure to follow us, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating and review if you are loving our content. As always, you are in for a treat on today's episode. Today, we're diving into the world of AI. And if you're anything like me, I just find that conversations surrounding AI, machine learning, data privacy, any of these terms are really intimidating to me. I'm not an expert by any means on this topic. And so when other people start talking about them, I just feel really uneducated, to be honest, around these subjects and very intimidated. So I tend to shy away from these conversations or people start talking about them. I kind of just tune out and lose interest in the conversation. But I know that this has been a huge topic this past year. I feel like we've seen it come to fruition through all these different applications like ChatGPT. And I feel like even in mainstream advertising, I've seen so many ads about privacy. And there's one I talked about in the episode that Apple recently came out with. And they've had billboards everywhere about your health, privacy, and data on your phone. So it's been something that's been very top of mind. And I hope that through today's episode, you walk away with a bit more knowledge and familiarity in these topics. And I hope that next time you're in a conversation or someone's talking about it or brings up any of these terms or just AI in general, you feel a little bit more educated. You feel like you kind of know what's going on and can contribute to the conversation. So that's kind of what we're talking about today. And I'm very excited to welcome Sharon to the show. A little bit of a background on Sharon. She's a seasoned data and machine learning product leader. She's dedicated to developing, implementing, and developing scalable AI and machine learning algorithms that remarkably impact businesses. She focuses on data-driven solutions to increase customer engagement and platform's performance. She currently serves as the product manager of CBC's machine intelligence retention team. And in detail, she leads a project which aims to partner with digital products and content teams to influence the business decisions around implementation and data-driven solutions. She earned her Bachelor of Science and Master's of Science in Electrical Engineering from Concordia, and she also did a postgraduate certificate in data analytics, big data, and predictive analytics from Toronto Metropolitan University. Really loved today's episode. I hope you walk away with some really tangible tips and a better understanding of AI. So without further ado, let's get right into it and welcome Sharon to the show. Hey, Trailblazers, welcome back to the Business Casual podcast. And I'm so excited to welcome today's guest to the show. Sharon, welcome to the Business Casual podcast. How are you doing? Hi, Stacey. Thank you for having me today. I'm doing pretty well. Like the summer days, it's the best days, uh, uh, I think, in the year. So I'm like super happy these days. Of course, yes. Yeah, summer is the best. And there's nothing better than putting on your favorite podcast, which should be business casual, getting a nice beverage. I love listening to podcasts like iced coffee. I don't have anything with me right now because I was rushing, but any good beverage, it's like the best thing on a hot summer day. So I'm excited for today's conversation because it has been the year of AI, machine learning, data. I feel like it's just been everywhere and it's not something I'm super familiar with, which is why I wanted to bring an expert on the show who's been in the space. So maybe you want to start with just telling us more about what your role is and kind of how you navigated kind of entering tech and kind of what you do. 
Uh, so currently I'm the product manager of a team at CBC called Machine Intelligence Retention. So I'm not a face on the air at CBC. I'm more behind the scenes in the tech sector, in the digital department. The product of my team that we built and launched is a content analytics platform for the content producer at CBC to empower them with data-driven decision-making when it comes to the content strategy and how they can optimize the content in order to improve the audience engagement with the, again, the content that they're creating, and at the same time, try to provide the most relevant experience for them based on what their interests are. So prior to like kind of change my job portfolio to the product management, uh, I uh, worked as a data scientist and data engineer. Actually, I started my journey at CBC with a data science role. Uh, and then I decided that I want to have a more impact on the decision that uh, the organization is making when it comes to the data, how to leverage the machine learning and AI. And that's why I try to find the best kind of next step for my career journey. And I found out like the, the PM can be a good fit for myself because I still can have my technical knowledge to influence the decision. But at the same time, uh, I have that seat on the table to be part of the conversation, access more information, see, hear more directly from the leaders, what is their perspective, and try to provide my um, two cents uh, and kind of influence, I would say, the strategy. I'm not still in the way that totally can like make the strategy uh but hopefully one day uh, i will be in that uh, kind of like position but again like that's that's like kind of my journey throughout the the tech and again in the in sense of like career journey i used uh, i studied like uh in uh, my bachelor and master degrees in electrical engineering and then i decided I want to work in the data. That's is a better fit for me. There is uh, so much uh, advancement happening in this area. There is, I, I saw like about, I would say, six, seven years back, the opportunity for working in this area. So I kind of got another degree in uh, big data and predictive modeling and I started my career in the field. So that's kind of my journey. I changed kind of my job portfolio, even like from academia, even the, the fields that I'm working but again, overall, I'm happy where uh, I'm working right now and the decision that I took back. Then. I love it. And I have so many questions in regards to this industry. And it's so interesting because I feel like when we think of like a data scientist role, like machine learning, I think a lot of people have the idea that these roles, and I'm not entirely sure if you'll agree with this or not, but are super technical in the sense like there's not a lot of creativity but I feel like when you apply it in like the sense of content production and at CBC there is a lot of creativity involved in that it's not just like I feel like people don't understand that the applications to it can be just outside of like numbers can you kind of relate to that is that kind of how you see yourself now in kind of more of a PM role so when it's come to leveraging the the big data, the machine learning or AI into any kind of industry and business, it doesn't matter which like sector you're working on. It can be like as us, like we are media. It can be e-commerce. It can be finance. It can be even health, and much more. Like I can keep like adding to this list. The whole idea is about like what are the problems your business is facing find those use cases and start to solve those problems through uh, these like AI and ML uh, uh, solutions. So this is where the whole creativity and innovation comes to play. It's not like I would say the data science roles, like mainly because I, I worked in that role, it's not static at all. 
it's right. always dynamic and uh, like changing, like how the AI is changing. I would say like every day there is something new, some research like coming out. Uh, the people are like the organization are investing R&D. So it's a very dynamic field and you can look at it more from a, like a problem solving perspective. Right. And that's where like when I said when I got to the PM, it was more like uh, kind of like exciting for me because now I have more access to the what are the problems that our organizations are facing and then try to connect it with those technical solution uh, that I'm aware or my team is working on. So you are kind of connecting the dots and that's how you're going to get the value out of these technologies. I know like for some people it may sound scary because they are not like familiar, but there are so much uh, potential in it. At the same time, I'm going to be honest, there are like with any new technologies, it's like uh, comes to, to the like a public and it become more available. There are going to be risk and consideration, uh, but there is a solution for them as well. It's not something that we cannot solve as a community together. And so, I mean, one that comes to mind is obviously ChatGBT that everyone is talking about. It's been brought to the public and a lot of people are using that in their everyday lives as well as in the workplace. How has that impacted your role? Is that been an impact at all in what you do? Or have you kind of seen that playing out in the workplace right now? So first, like, this is a very interesting, like, I will share, like, chat GBT or this whole concept of chatbot or generating the content. It's more like people are talking about it right now because it's more available to the public, but they're right. not very new concept. They were, like, part of the research in academia. And now it's, like, something very easy, accessible to everyone so they can interact with it. There are so much, like, question around the content creation because, right. again, we are, like, a media-based company. There are so many articles, audios, like, podcasts, videos are, like, produced on, a, like, a daily basis. So there is a concern of, like, how it's going to impact the whole content creation streamlines uh, uh, like for us. So the point is that, yes, these like systems, you can insert some like inputs, give them some context, and they are providing you some like fresh and new content. But there is a huge lack of consciousness and understanding of this system. They have no clue about uh, what they produce. Yes, they are grammar, grammatically correct, and they are like, because they train based on so much uh, public text data, so they're providing you valuable information, but you need to do some like fact checks on it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're the the ones that the the content they're producing like maybe even wrong, and at the same time they don't have any empathy or uh, connection uh, that can connection with the audiences. Right. There is no creativity that they can add, and that's where the human elements at the current state uh, is like required. There is no way to replace it with any like conversational uh, systems that create the contents. So it's still like at this current state, this is required to have the human element as part of the, the equation. Again, it's going to advance. I don't know like where it's going to get. It really depends on the research uh, that's been happening. Maybe like there is no one knows, I would say. Uh, what the future can bring to us, but this is what the all the organization with the content base are thinking about. But at the same time, the benefits we can get out of it when it comes to content creation. So it can uh, help with the brain of storming of the ideas. It can give uh, instant feedback on your uh, or your content and bring you some suggestion. Some repetitive tasks, even when it comes to the content creation, can be optimized uh, based on these 
new technologies, which can be valuable because at the end of the day, it's going to improve the efficiency and productivity for um, like both employees and businesses. It's interesting you talk about the academic side, because even in academics right now, the use of it is being questioned and the policies surrounding it. And if it is allowed to be used for like brainstorming or kind of like what the rules and regulations are. But it's interesting you say that it's been around for a long time, but it's just now being brought to the public. And in your perspective, being in the the industry and in the workplace, why is it now being brought to the public? Why is it being now more accessible? Is it just because there's been more advancements from like companies' perspectives that make it more user-friendly? Or is there other reasons? Are we just evolving more as a society? Like, why is it all of a sudden we're seeing all this kind of AI and machine learning come up kind of to the public and into audiences? So there are a couple of factors that contributes to this, like, kind of like what we sell jump that we are seeing in AI usage and discussion that's happening everywhere, literally. To give you like an example, I, I went a couple of weeks back to do a, like a photo shoot and they, I was talking to the uh, camera person. He was telling me he's trying to emerge AI to see how he can use for his work. So that's yeah. how it's widespread in the society. So the first factor that kind of contributes to that, which advancement in the AI technologies. So compared to the past, there are more advancement happening in natural language processing, computer vision, and even the algorithms itself uh, for machine learning. And that's why now we are seeing more practical application of it. So back then it was more on the research zone. Now that we are bringing that research and apply to the practical business problem, that's why we are seeing that everyone is talking about because now people can see how it can help into the finance, healthcare, transportation. So they can connect more with the use cases of it. The other one, we have like huge amount of data right now because like somehow all the business is trying to move towards a digital like transformation. So we have this large volume of data that the models can learn from. So this is like a privilege that we have right now. So, uh, and it helps the models to... Uh, solve even more sophisticated and complex problems. The other, like I would say, yes, for sure, they find a way to make it available to public in a very easy manner, like user-friendly. So everyone now can connect. Even when it comes to the industry, I know uh, some of the like small companies trying to offer these pre-built model to everyone. So they can grab those models and start to see how they can use them in order to solve their problems. So, so this open, like this opportunity is now more available to everyone uh, compared to the past. Uh, so if we want to look at the organizational level. And again, what else I can add in that, like there is so much coverage in the media yeah. as well. So everyone is talking about it. So I think that has a impact on why it is now more of a hot topic these days. And at the end of the day, Everyone, governments, business, academic, they want, they see a potential in AI and they want to uh, increase their investment. And we see a huge like investment in the R&D or research and development everywhere. So, and it kind of accelerates uh, how we are seeing that now, like everyone is talking about this. So there are these factors that impacts that huge jump of the AI usage and discussion in the, in the world. For sure. And I think, like you said, it's kind of a hot topic right now. I feel like last year was the year of crypto. Everyone's talking about Web3 and crypto and how it's going to impact. And all of a sudden, January hit and it was all about AI. And I wanted to ask, can you differentiate AI versus machine learning? Because I think those terms are terms that I hear that are used interchangeably. 
Should those terms be used interchangeably? Are they different in? Absolutely. So from my perspective, who work, they are different. So when we are talking about the artificial intelligence, is this, this is the broadest term that we are using in the field. And it includes the all the uh, kind of areas that focus on creating intelligent machines. Uh, the machines that can replicate the uh, human cognitive abilities like thinking, reasoning, problem solving, decision making, and even understanding the natural language. Uh, like literally we are trying to find a way that these machines can act like human. This is the, I think, the ultimate goal that the AI is trying to uh, to achieve at the end of the day. But when it's talking about the machine learning, it's just a subset of the AI field. The main focus of the machine learning on designing algorithms and models that the machines can learn from and improve from the data. And then when uh, they learn from the data, they can start to do some prediction and uh, creating some decision for us. One example, like it's a very like, I think, simple, but maybe relevant these days as well. So we see this like change of the price of the houses in Toronto. This is where I'm living. Uh, so, so these models can apply using so many features of what's happening in the market, the, the features of the house in order to give you a projection what is the price in the future is going to be like. like. So you literally build the model and it can provide you with those prediction. And then you can, based on those prediction, make some like decisions of like what is your investment is going to be look like. Should I invest in this, uh, for example, property area or not? So this is the differentiation between the AI and machine learning. We're going to take a quick break to talk about this week's sponsor, AG1. I absolutely love this product. I've been using it every single day for almost a year now. I was so tired of taking so many supplements and different vitamins, and I was always confused when I should be taking which supplements and how many I should be taking and what was better for which and which brands to use. So AG1 has just changed that totally. It has made my routine so much easier. I feel like I'm getting all of my vitamins, nutrients, and supplements and everything I need in my body before I even eat breakfast. I drink AG1 in the morning, right when I wake up. It also forces me to drink water, which is great. It makes me feel ready to go. It I think has helped my skin. I feel like I'm always glowing after I take it. And I really feel like I'm doing something good for my body without having to even think about it. I've tried tons of different supplements before, but I love that AG1 is just a one-stop solution to support my whole body health. And I also love that it saves me so much time in the morning and makes everything so much easier because it's just one scoop in a cold glass of water. I love to take it really cold and I just shake that up, drink it. Takes me like three minutes to drink. I don't have to think about it. I know that I'm getting everything good that my body needs. It has over 75 high quality vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source ingredients. I also know that it's just chocked full of everything that's good for my body because it really is a top foundational nutritional product. And I really can't think of anything else in my routine that I stick to more than AG1 because I really do trust the product. If you're looking for a simpler, effective investment in your health, try AG1 today and get five free AG1 travel packs and one free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash businesscasual. That is drinkag1.com slash businesscasual. Check it out. I know you said that you went back and did more education, more schooling to kind of enter this space. Based on where we're at right now, what advice do you have to someone who wants to break into tech, specifically in the AI space? 
is more education, like higher education necessary? Or how are people kind of learning and keeping up with what's going on in the industry? So it really depends on what kind of uh, role you're looking for. So if you want to be a very like technical person or you just want to be as a leader who is aware of what's happening, there are different kind of, uh, I would suggest, learning and uh, like education required. So I will start with the leader part because this is easier. So imagine you are a leader in an industry, but you want to start making smarter decision into implementing AI. Uh, so in that uh, case, you just need to gain an understanding about overall and foundational things about the AI. So then having some like online courses, being part of the meetups, conferences, uh, I think that's going to like be enough. But if you want to be a hands-on person, you just like so excited, you are like you want to do the coding, then there is like a slightly more requirements needs to happen. I don't suggest, if, again, and it depends on your background, like if you have any for example, coding background. Right. Uh, so probably you may not require to like start from scratch because as long as you know like one programming language, then learning the rest is going to be way easier for you. So you can just start uh, again. If you want to really invest, you can go with the university and more formal degrees. But at the same time, there are so many boot camps. There are online courses. They are, I would say, part-time courses as well available. Uh, and there are like quite few of them. Even the universities, like well-known universities, offer them as well in the continuing education, like programs. So I do suggest, based on how much time, money, uh, and like you want to invest, like pick one of those and start learning. And then part of it is goes back your practicing. Like again, you learn these these uh, content, and then you need to start to practice and create a portfolio for yourself. Uh, most of the time when it comes to the data science or ML or AI like uh, specific, you need to work on the projects, show your skill sets through those uh, problem solvings. Like how did you approach the problem? What kind of methodology you use? And then build those portfolio to showcase that you are like capable of doing those things. Um, but again, I would say, again, it really depends on a case by case basis. All of those um, approaches of learning is valid as long as you show your capabilities uh, through some like real practices, which when you are like a junior, I do suggest it's going to be uh, your projects portfolio. If you are slightly senior, then you have the industry job, so you don't need like to do the projects that much anymore. Uh, but yeah, this is how I see people can enter into the world of AI. Again, back then I was like, like I mean, I was electrical engineer. I did my master's with the focus on the ML, but it was different from what I'm doing. So I decided to got a certificate, only spend a year, not going to a whole like, again, uh, four years of program because I didn't see that's going to be a fit for me. So it's really a decision of your level where you're at in the tech sector. And that makes sense. I mean, if you already have a four-year university degree in something that might be relevant or not relevant, uh, and maybe you're a little bit further into your career and you don't see yourself going back for a four-year degree, I think also in a space like this where things are moving so fast, I think maybe sometimes going the extra mile of like attending conferences, being more having your hand on the pulse of the industry and doing online certificates and be moving at a faster pace that are keeping up with an industry that's changing every day might be the better, better route. But I think also it's nice to know that it's never too late. Also, change industries. And that's something that a lot of people stress about. And now entering my post-grad era, 
a lot of my friends are kind of navigating that. What do I want to do? And if I did a four-year degree, can I go back and change it and do something totally different now? Because I don't think that this is what I want to do. And I think AI as a whole as an industry, especially with the big data I know you mentioned, there's actually an ad I saw um, that Apple, I don't know if you've seen it with the health data. They have like mm-hmm. a person with their phone and you can clearly tell they're doing something like related to their health. And it kind of like pans and you can't see what's on their phone anymore because it's talking about like your health data is yours and we protect it. And I think it's also been a big conversation is like data privacy. I don't know if that's been anything kind of related to, I mean, I'm sure in media, that's also been something that's been relevant. Um, But any like thoughts on how that's kind of impacting the industry right now and the use of like data and privacy? Yeah. So I had a chance this year to attend the collision conference as well in Toronto and the data privacy was uh, like everyone were mentioning it in their speeches and talks because it's huge. Uh, literally all of these models like machine learning, AI, like more advanced ones, they are depends on the data and right. we need to collect the data. There is no way that you can like train these models without having the data. So then it comes to what kind of data we are collecting. And sometimes there's so much sensitive information in them. So we need to come up with those uh, privacy measures and protections to both like uh, safeguard not only the users, but even the company data. Because again, if someone's uh, misused those data, it, ha- it can have negative consequences. So no one wants to get there. Right. Uh, so when it comes to data privacy, one factor we need to consider to be very transparent with our users, like what we are collecting and how we are going to use those information. And one way to address it is coming with these uh, consent management like platforms to just like be very like again very conversational and transparent with the user. These are the like the data that we are trying to collect. And again, uh, in our section, and I know at CBC we are trying to even like inform them how we're going to like use those data. Uh, so these are the uh, like this is one way of like uh, doing it the transparency. But you need to put some measures in place as well. So you need to have a full foundation of your data privacy uh, in place before like scale it up and start to gather all of those information. Uh, You even need to put access control within the organization. Not everyone needs to access to all the data. So based on the use cases and the needs, like different people can have different access to the uh, to the source of the data. So that's another practice the the uh, organization can uh, can have in place. And again, like, yes, everyone is worried about the data and we are sharing data literally like every day. As long as you are in the social media, you're using your emails, you're like, your like kind of data is uh, collected somewhere. Do you think that consumers need to be more aware of the data that they're sharing? Like, do you think it's on the consumers to be more proactive and reading those consent forms? Or do you think it's on, you know, the firms and the companies, are they doing enough to kind of share I know you just talk about transparency. Yeah. Is it kind of from what you've seen in the workplace right now, is there a balance happening or is, should there be more onus on the consumers to be seeking out those questions? And is there kind of enough education surrounding what questions we should be asking? Because for me as a consumer who's not in this space of AI, I know that every time I see a form, I'm like, yes, accept, like share my cookies, yeah. whatever it might be. And I've never really thought about what data is being used and that commercial really stuck with me and I was like okay wow now I realize how much information is on my phone and now I'm starting to question like who is that being shared with and what is that kind of going towards and what is that helping in like the grand scheme of things 
So I think both parties needs to be like proactive on this one. Uh, again, like mainly I would say on the the consumer zones and like the the audience, like the users of the different products, even the apps. So there needs to be more education. Like even if it's not available, you need to start reading more of like how this data is being used as a user. Just try to follow the blog post and read more about them, educate yourself. Because I remember I was talking with my mom one time about like uh, posting something on Instagram. It says, post something as long as you feel comfortable because when you put it out there, it is there. Yeah. So you cannot control like it is now available. Again, a group of your friends may see it even, but this is exists in the system. So you need to always be aware of what you're sharing. If you're not comfortable, never do that because that digital footprint do exist somewhere. And again, uh, you don't know like how some of the algorithms are using that data uh, for different purposes. So this is something that I suggest and uh, read about sometimes like when you're downloading a new app, just see what kind of information you're sharing. Uh, so I would say be more wise about your choices when it comes to sharing your data with different things. Because uh, you may see a comfort, this is offering me a service. Maybe this is incentive you're going to share more information. But do your research before you want to do any action. This is my uh, suggestion to all the end users before yeah before taking any actions and a simple example you see like for example you are searching for a like a magic backpack and then wherever you go on anywhere on your google social media you see these backpacks they're offering you keep offering you so this is the, how they're like following your behaviors and start like offering you the same product over and over again so this is one way if you want to imagine how they're using the data this is for ad targeting. It's a very simple example, but it's kind of connected over all the platforms uh, on your phone or, or even on your laptops. That's how the tracking is happening. But at the same time, I want the, like this is, I hope the organizations uh, who are collecting the data being more transparent with the end users and the use cases and try to consider those ethical uh, decision-making about how they're using the data. So again, there is education needs to happen for the leaders and employees in the organization as well around the data privacy, protection, and ethical decision-making as well. And I think that it's also exciting because as we kind of continue to build this data, I know there's a lot of conversations about what do we do with it? And like you were saying with the data science part of it, there's a lot of like career opportunities there as well of kind of like understanding how do we use this data? What do we do with it? How can we use it to like better ourselves as a society? And so I wanted to change the conversation a little bit because my sister is currently studying computer science. And I know that in her current program and school, she is definitely a minority in terms of being a woman in the industry. So for you and your perspective, because you've been in it, I think even earlier from when a lot of the conversation has changed and women are now slowly kind of starting to enter more of these tech roles, but I still think there's a lot of changes to be done in the industry. So what has it meant for you to be a woman in this industry and how have you navigated that throughout the last few years? So first of all, I like being a woman in like tech or AI industry, I see it as a, like a unique challenge. So there is like, I do remember when I was doing my master's degree, uh, my bachelor's degree in electrical engineering and the first day of the university, I went to the classroom and I was like, am I the only woman in the room? 
and then like later down like some some female joined us but again we were we were in the minority group yeah. of that one the same thing when i joined like as a data scientist in my current position i for a, like a for my whole career as a data scientist i was the only one in the room but i've never seen it as something to barrier for me i see it as a challenge because i was like aware of my capabilities and how what i can offer and bring to the table but literally when it comes to this and you see you are the only woman uh, first of all, like, yes, there is an underrepresentation do exist, so I cannot say, but there are so many positive kind of, I would say, uh, approaches the organization are taking to kind of balance out this gender imbalance that we are seeing in the tech world. The other one, I would say, if you are a woman in the AI field, uh, and if you have a, like a say and power seat on the table, try to be advocate for gender equality in your workplace and empower the other women. Try to influence them to start their career in the tech. Because again, I did it. I'm pretty sure there's so much smart women out there. They can do it as well if they are interested in the field. Again, you cannot force it. Then it should be like the interest should be there first. And then yes. when you are interested, then you can do it. There is no like uh, barrier for you in that front. Uh, what? Another point that is going to be very helpful, and it's about the networking and community building. So you need to be very proactive in reaching out to people in the field and then try to kind of build that uh, network, professional network connection for you. Not only because like uh, because it's going to help you, first of all, to maybe uh, land your first job or even like what is the next step is going to be for me. So it's going to open up the career opportunities for you at the same time. And you can collaborate on the projects together as well. This is another like great opportunity. And again, try to be like advocate for yourself. I would say I was, I was like always vocal and advocate for myself in different situation. Uh, so don't afraid to speak up uh, when you have a point, when you know your solution is the one that's going to help the business. Start to just present it even to the, your executives. Uh, there is nothing wrong with you to that. Like I always says, like when I was a data scientist, I always wanted to present my work, be the lead, go. And this is what I did. This is how I can see you can benefit, share your ideas. Uh, and that's where the people see your value and the navigation is going to way more easier than you would imagine. You just stay silent and do not say anything about the great work that you're doing in the workplace. Again, it's, but you need to be patient. You need to put the effort, not get disappointed. And I'm pretty sure like, again, I went, it wasn't like an easy path for me either. Uh, but it says, okay, just be afraid at the first step and quit. Yeah, no, definitely a lot of resiliency is, is needed. And I think that slowly things are starting to change, as you said, but it is really important to advocate for yourself. Our last episode was all about negotiating. And that was the key theme there as well, was advocating for yourself and making sure that you're asking the questions that you need to ask and you're advocating for like the skills and the education and the projects you've already worked on, because that's at the end of the day, what's most important to make sure that you get credit for the work that you're doing. And I know you brought up the idea of mentorship and networking. Are there any kind of like resource groups that you're part of, whether it's at CBC or externally or any like conferences or like mentorship groups or any resources that you want to share that you have leveraged or maybe you think that could be helpful for anyone listening that wants to to be in this space or as a woman in tech? So as part of the CBC, I had the privilege to be part of a women in tech group uh, as an ERG. And I, again, uh, had the chance to lead the 
uh, that like group for about two years as a coacher, so which was a great experience for me. I learned a lot about like leadership in that that role personally. So and now that group launched a mentorship program in the organization, which connects the people within the organization so they can like learn from each other. I participated in one of them as a mentor. Outside that, this is what I'm doing as a person, like in, as a woman, I want to make sure that I'm contributing to the community. So on a very informal basis, I'm trying to provide and share my uh, kind of career journey with the females who are very early stage in the career and they want to be a data scientist or be in the AI field in general. So that's what I'm doing on the side. Uh, again, when people reach out to me, they want to like uh, their resumes to be reviewed. This is what I'm doing in the site. I'm not doing it any formal ways, just like a more informal and casual. But I do suggest just even you can just, uh, I don't know like any specific formal mentorship program, but you can just reach out to the people on LinkedIn. Just send a message with a clear intent of what you're looking for. And I'm pretty sure there are so many women that they want to empower and support each other. Uh, so that's what I do suggest. And that's how I uh, kind of like lots of people reach out to me. And I started to provide my perspective for them. Hopefully it helps them to land their jobs or like reach to the goals that they are looking for. And we're so grateful for sharing all of your expertise here today on Business Casual. Hopefully, I'm sure if anyone has questions specifically about uh, the industry, can reach out to Sharon directly. But I'll finish the episode off with our last question, which is what is one piece of advice you want to leave listeners with that you wish you knew when you started your career or that you've been given throughout that's really stuck with you? So yeah, I was. Uh, this is a very, very good question. And I will give that is like my advice is to be bold and take the driver's seat in your career. Uh, take the ownership uh, and be proactive about the decision you're making. Be intentional about them. Set small, smart goals for yourself uh, with your like end goal in mind. Always what is your vision, where you want to head to. And then start to uh, like uh, take the action in order to reach to all of those steps, goals, and hopefully you get reach to your ultimate goal. But yes, don't like take that ownership. That's really important. This is your life. This is your career journey. So you need to invest in yourself and make sure you are taking the required steps in order to reach what you're looking for. So no one can make that decision for you. Thank you so much, Sharon, for all of your lovely advice. I think I learned so much about AI and machine learning, and we're so grateful for your time. So thank you so much for being here on the Business Casual. And I hope that everyone listening feels a little bit more empowered next time they're in a conversation about AI or tech, or if you're interested in entering the space, I hope this conversation helped you. And if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out to Sharon. Thank you so much. No worries at all. Thank you for having me. Perfect.